0: Welcome to Motor Learning for Coaches. This show features Casey Kreider, Harjeev Singh, Andy Bass, and John Mayer. The mission of this project is to bring motor learning theory out of the lab and into your practice and game space. After one listen, you'll be ready to coach your brains out. So to start out, let's have, uh, I guess, each of you maybe introduce yourself. Let me know, you know, where you work and what you're doing. And also, you know, I'm to start with the why. why. Why should coaches care about motor learning? Uh, Casey, you want to go
1: first? Yeah, I think starting uh, with in front of those two is probably the best call, so I'm not a <laughs> in. Right but uh, yeah, my name is Casey Kreider. I'm a, I coach volleyball at the University of Miami, and uh, educationally, I'm, I'm finishing up my master's here at Miami, and uh, fingers crossed getting my thesis published here in the next couple of weeks, and then uh, off to a doctoral program at distance at the University of Gloucester with Keith Davids. And comparing sport pedagogy and all sorts of fun stuff like that and uh, for me I kind of stumbled into motor learning had some really good mentors Marv Dunphy and and, uh, the McGowan family and just it was an itch that I couldn't seem to scratch without going a little bit deeper and uh, I don't think it's the only thing that matters in coaching but I do think it's one of those foundational pieces And what I like about it is it's a young field that seems to be evolving, you know, relatively quickly. And so, you know, I'm still a young coach and I look out, Hey, if I'm coaching in 30 years, I have a hunch that coaching will be different because motor learning and motor behavior will have evolved a lot in those 30 years. And so the other thing for me is it's just a a really cool topic. And so sitting here chatting with you guys is, is awesome.
0: So I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Uh, Andy, you want to go next? Sure.
2: Uh, Andy Bass. I'm the mental skills coach for the Pittsburgh Pirates. This year, I got promoted to the big leagues, which was a lot of fun. But my background, I did play professionally. I got drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays and played for a little bit with Chicago White Sox as a right handed pitcher. I got my master's degree in sports psychology and motor behavior at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and was really blown away with that program because of how it combines psychology. And I never heard of motor learning before grad school. And really wanted to study it and teach it and research it. And so I also got my doctorate at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville in sports psychomotor behavior, working under Dr. Jeff Fairbrother. And once I was done with that, I've been working with the Pittsburgh Pirates since 2018. It's been a lot of fun to be able to use that skill set of combining the mental game with skill acquisition and just the science of learning with, within baseball with our players and our coaches. The why for me is very similar to Casey's. I think it can kind of boil it down to a quote I actually heard from Dr. Fairbrother when I was getting my master's and he said that the worst phrase in the English language is, this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like sport in general tends to fall back on that phrase a lot, on that philosophy way too often. And I just love to be able to bring a little more of an empirical and holistic mindset to sport to really blend the art of coaching with the science of coaching because there is no other world where you can't bring science in. Doctors and lawyers constantly have to do continuing education to keep their license. And I feel like sport for some reason has been impervious to that. And the fact that motor learning is starting to be more integrated into the sport world, I just feel is fair and equal
3: to all those involved.
0: That's great. All right, Harjeev, take us home.
3: Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm currently a uh, PhD candidate uh, up at UNLV. Uh, with with Dr. Gabby Wolf, um, and currently just a few months ago took on a role with the Orlando Magic as a performance and development scientist Um, and so you know echoing the the statement of just motor learning is really fun Um, I actually got into motor learning uh 2014 when I tore my ACL actually so it's been you know about seven years now um Yeah, I was interested in, you know, I I tore my ACL and kind of, you know, I knew what had happened, Uh, you know, I was a non-contact ACL injury, but I was really interested in how it happened and that how kind of has taken me from, you know, understanding, you know, the injury and then understanding learning and understanding other cognitive variables. And here I am seven years later, uh, six years later, whatever it is, um, you know, I, 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 I take it as like, you know, motor learning is a field that has so many different sort of avenues. Um, It's, you can take stuff from just cognitive psychology, you can take some educational psychology, from biomechanics, from data science. So it's like everything all in one, which makes it so much more better and so much more fun. Um, And then just, you know, working with, you know, coaching staffs. Yeah, coaches are so... I'm so good at what they do, um, so smart at, you know, the, the things they talk about and, and the things they deliver uh, to their players and coaching staffs that what is an interest of mine and what interests of other coaches is like how to actually go about doing that. And I think that how is what, again, started my journey seven years ago and, and still what I'm doing now. And so I'm excited to be here, uh, similar to, uh, to Casey back when was in volleyball. Um, basketball kind of just stumbled in my life and you know, i get to work with an nba team so it's fun
0: (laughs) that's great well yeah it's awesome to hear uh, your guys different experiences in it and you know i think like you said there's lots of different avenues you can go into within motor learning so the goal of this will be for us to slowly chip away at different topics and we'll have each of you lead us and teach us and and present the theory and then hopefully get into how how do we actually use it you know what does it look like on the field on the court and all those things so we have our, our resident baseball expert so we'll we'll go lead off hitter with uh, dr bass for our first episode uh, so andy if you want to start us off certainly
2: flattered to be in the leadoff spot here first time that's really <laughs> happened to me we, we um, trust you so what i'm going to be discussing today is the guidance hypothesis in regard to providing feedback and I would like to qualify anything that we do talk about it with the idea that there's truly only one law in motor behavior, motor learning, and that's Fitts' law. It's the speed accuracy trade-off. So it's called the guidance hypothesis because there's gray here. I'm certainly not saying that anything that I say should be black or white. There's a continuum, and that's where the art of coaching comes in. In a nutshell, the guidance hypothesis deals with feedback, feedback. Um, I'm gonna be referring more like verbal feedback from a coach just to make things more simplistic and straightforward. And what Dick Schmidt presented within the guidance hypothesis is that feedback has these guiding properties, which makes sense. If we tell somebody what to do, we're trying to guide them toward a solution space. But what he said can happen is that while it may be effective in the moment for limiting errors, an athlete or a player or an individual can become dependent on that feedback if it's given too much too often and it's just basically system overload. And John, I think when I was on your podcast last year, I likened it to those bumper lanes in bowling, where if you're learning how to bowl and the bumper lanes are up, they're it to where you cannot throw a gutter ball. You're going to look really, really great all the time. You're never going to throw a gutter ball. But when the game happens, when the match happens, those bumper lanes go down. And if you've only been practicing with the bumper lanes as in constant feedback all the way down from a coach, when those go away, then your performance might suffer from it because you haven't been tasked with exploring the solution space. The coach has basically told you everything that you need to know, where to point your attention toward, which I'm sure Harjeev can certainly speak to. So I've just been very fascinated by the guidance hypothesis, not even necessarily from an empirical standpoint that it can actually cause people to become dependent on it. But I think there is an aspect of coaching with verbal feedback that where ego becomes involved where I'm the coach, I have the answer, and I'm going to fill you up. I'm just going to treat you like a bank and stuff as much information and money into you as possible. And I think there is an ego aspect that comes into that, which is where I think the psychology of this comes in as well. And one thing that I've always fall back on when it comes to how much feedback we should be giving is uh, my, my dad's a history buff. And he told me this story about when Winston Churchill took over as prime minister right before World War II, And they were handing him just these stacks and stacks of dossiers and pages about what he was supposed to do that day. And he went into Parliament and said, this needs to be in one page, two pages tops. And they said, sir, we can't do that. And he said, nope, it is slothful to not compress your thoughts. It is lazy to just continue to talk and talk and talk, it is much more difficult to get to the point, provide the proper optimal information to that athlete, and let the athlete move on from there. And I'm certainly, we can talk about the self organization aspect from that as well. So, this idea of limiting feedback, we don't want to provide it all the time because it can guide the athlete in ways that's not going to be there in the game. And there are ways I think that we can limit feedback. Uh, there's a type of feedback called bandwidth feedback, where if somebody falls outside of the bandwidth, like let's say I'm working with a pitcher and for some reason and their velocity is typically between 90 and 93, but now their velocity is down to 85. Well, when I notice that, I can provide feedback because it's fallen outside of that bandwidth. We can provide summary feedback, just provide something at the end, let the athlete go through the drill, let the player go through the drill, whatever it is, and then provide some tidbits on the very end, basically summarizing everything that happened rather than feedback constantly throughout the process. Something that I studied in graduate school is self-controlled feedback. Let the athletes tell you when they would like feedback. That's going to engage their motivation and more than likely it's going to help them process the information to a much more optimal level rather than we as the coaches jumping in every time we think something is going wrong. And fading feedback, maybe give feedback more on the front end. And as the drill goes on or as the athlete's career goes on, give them less and less moving forward. And with the idea that it's slothful not to compress your thoughts, I'm going to cut myself off there in regard to the guidance hypothesis and kind of how we can find ways to limit feedback, give it less, and wait a little bit longer to give it as well, um, either using bandwidth feedback. If they fall outside of a certain area, then we can provide, it, provide feedback at the end rather than during or let the athlete control the feedback themselves because that's really going to start to engage this more of an implicit learning where they're truly becoming their own best coach rather than becoming reliant on the coach themselves.
0: Andy, you crushed it at leadoff. We're going to keep you there. I think that was a, a base hit. You took some pitches, you got on base. Um, so I'm curious to start out and then Casey and Harjeev, please jump in. How can a coach like prep for this? Uh, I guess when you've observed, have have coaches come in, you know, maybe really clear on the task, or is it more of like an improvisational thing where you have your, your principles? they like, how can a coach prepare themselves to come in if they do want to you know, give more summary feedback or um, hit some of the topics you hit?
2: I think it's a slow drip when it comes to that and certainly some self-compassion from the coach where if they find themselves talking a lot or providing a lot of feedback, that's absolutely okay. You know, The first step to solving any problem is recognizing there is one. So I, I think maybe if a coach were to keep track of how often they're providing feedback, whether they're bringing a clicker, every time they say something, click it. And at the end of the day, notice how many times they spoke and see if the next day they can limit that by 10%. Um, in a sport like baseball, where everything is very numerical with exit velocities off a of bat, or like I said, velocity from a pitch, find ways to pre- create a bandwidth for yourself and that player of, okay, if you fall outside of this velocity, uh, exit velo, spin rate, what have you, I'm gonna provide some sort of feedback. So I think there are ways to put plans in place moving forward. It doesn't have to go be all or nothing, though. Just because the guidance hypothesis says we should limit feedback doesn't mean that coaches can't hop in and obstruct. I think coming in maybe with one or two ways to give feedback per day and working on that and seeing what works. Like, okay, today I'm going to try self-controlled feedback. I'm going to tell the volleyball player, hey, we're working on a serve. You let me know when you would like me to jump in and provide feedback. Or if it's summary feedback, okay, you know what, for the next three drills, I'm only going to say something to the athlete after the drill is done and just find what works and what doesn't work. Just like with athlete, not every athlete responds well to every drill. Maybe not every coach will respond well to every form or uh, pathway of feedback. And I think it's just finding what works well for them, but being okay, tripping over themselves and trying to mitigate and lessen how much feedback they give.
0: And how much would you include uh, the athlete's voice? I know that's a big part of the feedback is, is asking questions. Yeah, how much do you insert yourself as a coach to, to get, in, you know, asking the right questions or how much is it like directed feedback?
2: Sure. One quote I've always loved when it comes to that is the person doing the talking is the one who's doing the learning mm-hmm. and making sure that we are asking open-ended questions. Anybody that's interested in motivational interviewing, I think that's a wonderful way to limit feedback by eliciting feedback from the athlete rather than providing unsolicited feedback from you as the coach. Uh, so an open-ended question where there's not necessarily a yes or no, and paying attention to how the athlete responds to our questions. If the questions we're asking to, so, to elicit feedback from the athlete can be answered in one or two words, okay, let's as we go forward, let's think about how that question could have been worded differently the more the athlete speaks after the question we ask, the more open-ended it tends to be. So that that would be perhaps one way that we could create a litmus test for ourselves on what is a proper question. And yeah, I'm sure we could split hairs on whether questions are feedback, Mm. but at least they're a little more of a synergistic process rather than this top-down, just giving feedback directly to the athlete.
0: Right. So Casey, I know, and you know, coaches spend you know, sometimes hours preparing for practice and you have all this good data, all this good info and you want to share it. So I guess, what have, what have you done as a coach to, you know, come in and maybe not, you know, try not to overload all the info that you've learned by studying the film or or prepping for practice Uh, or the things you've done to kind of prepare yourself to limit your feedback. Yeah.
1: Well, I think, Man, Andy hit on a bunch of really good stuff there. And, and one of the things that he, he mentioned in passing that I think needs to be uh, kind of examined further is this idea of uh, as, a, as a coach, Where's what's our ego, what's the influence of our ego here? And uh, I can look at all the spreadsheets in the world and uh, watch all the video in the world and uh, get the best plan ever and then just verbally vomit it onto uh, an athlete And uh, what's the effect there? Uh, maybe there's a residual hey I I got a little bit out of it there's probably a lot of negative consequences to that as well. And uh, so I think one of the things that becomes really important is if you're going to go that route of which is a great route, I think, in terms of being very prepared for practice and uh, knowing the data. And uh, understanding uh, the, the problems and the solutions that the athletes have from a movement perspective, that's all great. And maybe make that a shared process or an inclusive process with the athlete where as I'm understanding the numbers, uh, it's a process that uh, the athlete should understand. Uh, not, not should, but can understand the numbers as well. They may, they may not be that interested. But I think uh, these, this idea of the self-regulation of the provision of feedback We've got a lot of mileage out of that at Miami. We really have, and, and maybe more than than we ever expected in the sense that uh, not all of them, I think as an aside, most of them aren't good at it when you first start saying, hey, you tell me uh, when you'd like feedback. Mm-hmm. And uh I think uh some of them they just they forget that you're there <laughs> and they just kind of flounder and go ah what you know whatever I'll I'll just keep doing my thing. Some of them uh what we find more often is especially if if it's somebody who's who's been in a a, a very explicit feedback rich uh upbringing they're looking all the time. Hey what about that one? What did I do there? And we try to wean them off of that. Mm-hmm. And uh but, but I think uh it, just this idea, whether you call it co-design or uh, mutual exploration, I think is what Marv called it. and what, regardless, I think if the, the I think the paradigm that we got to come from as as a coach, and it, I don't know that they're mutually exclusive, is, but let's not concern ourselves exclusively with the idea of teaching and draw our attention more to the idea of learning. And that's not to say that we can't teach and instruct and provide explicit, uh, prescriptive feedback. But the, the, the consideration that needs to be made, uh, I think, fundamentally is, is the learning process it needs to be their deal. And where do we fit into their deal? And if they want feedback now, then now's a good time to give it because it's their deal. And if they don't want it right now, then, and we may work with them and say, and point some stuff out and go, hey, you're struggling a little bit. Would you like more feedback? Uh, but I think too often as a coach, as Andy alluded to, our ego gets in the way and it becomes about us teaching the, 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 the paradigm is, is us uh, and what we have to, I, I like the analogy he used, the bank, how, how much money can we cram into this bank? Uh, and they're kind of a passive uh, participant in their own experience. And I'm getting a little philosophical here, but um I think there's a lot there, and uh, the bandwidth feedback stuff is really good. The summary feedback stuff has been great. But the self-regulation uh, in terms of the provision to feedback, that's been the one that's been kind of the grand the grand slam. Hey, leadoff hitter, the grand, grand slam. slam for us, I think.
2: Casey, thats uh, I love that you bring that up. And Harjeev, I, I know I'm kind of jumping into your spot here, but we talk about constraints led approach, and you mentioned – I see coaches all the time, don't look over here during the game, you know, but if a player messes up and they look over to the bench – well, saying don't look over here, that's, that's verbal feedback. It's not necessarily a constraint, but creating an environment of self-regulated learning and of self-controlled feedback, you are then inherently going to lessen that player's habit of looking over to the sideline. So self-controlled feedback, self-regulated learning can actually be instituted as a constraint to help the athlete continue to stay focused on the task at hand during the match or during the game because they're not constantly looking over to the coach in practice. You can actually shape behavior through that.
0: Arjeev, I'm wondering what you see as maybe some benefits that we wouldn't think of. So, okay, you know, the players aren't looking to the coach and now, you know, they're, they're directing their attention to other places. So like, what would, what would kind of emerge for the player because they're not relying on the coach? What would they start to tune into? Like what, what benefits would a player get because they're not reliant on, on the coach?
3: Yeah, I think that just comes down to like the more the intrinsic feedback type of stuff, right? Like what they're actually themselves feeling or seeing and stuff like that. Um, but it also comes down to like 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 Andy mentioned, which Andy, by the way, I, I think you should put an audiobook. I think the way you talk is just fantastic. Um, it's just like, I could listen to that all day. Um, but uh, but I think, you know, you hit on it, the environment is so important um, in terms of, how these players are actually, you know, practicing and all that. And I think feedback itself, like, you know, it's important to be targeted, um, in terms of the feedback, um, but it also like comes down to like, which aspect of the performance are we actually going to share to our player will inherently shape the intrinsic feedback that they're going to feel, see whatever on the, on the playing field. So are we kind of, you know, we know targeting feedback is important, but are we focusing on the temporal spatial parameters of whatever task? Are we doing more movement kinetics, movement kinematics? I think that's really important to consider. Um, And then at the same time, you know, I think like a mental checklist for like coaches is always, always important to have because coaches are have limited amount of time. And like, like you mentioned, it's like either they're going to go through a step-by-step process or they're just going to word bomb at everything. Um, mm-hmm. And I think having that step-by-step process is really important. So things like, you know, identifying the critical feature of the task, according mm-hmm. to what whatever, you know, your expertise is correlating those specific variables to success, because we know success is always important. So the off, the more often that, you know, the player's mind is uh, kind of geared towards the successful outcome, um, the better. Um, and that's kind of kind of been shown through a lot of different uh, perspectives. Um, At the same time, uh, sort of like, you know, like mentioned, you know, are we, are we giving sort of the bandwidth feedback, you know, the knowledge of performance, knowledge of results type of thing. Um, Big fan of bandwidth feedback. So like, that's also important to have as a mental checklist. Um, And and one of the most important things that I've kind of realized is like, the, the more precise we are in giving feedback does not necessarily mean the better it is. Um, And so, like, that's another, like, thing to consider is, like, just because we're really, really specific on one thing, it may not mean, like, that's the most beneficial. And so, again, that environment is really important to build. And that comes down to your relationship with the athlete, you know, other things regarding that aspect of the culture you've built. Um, And one thing I wanted to mention from the beginning uh, was just, like, you know, feedback, feedback has basically two... Um, domains, right? So it's like the guidance and then also like the motivational aspect of it. So uh, there's like, and I, I want to like, kind of put this challenge out there because you guys, are, you guys are coaches and it's like, you know, sometimes we say like less is more, right? That's like the kind of the idea behind the guidance hypothesis. But when is it that more is better? And that's, that's what I challenge sometimes, like, because there's been quite a few papers and that, that looked at like, you know, 100% of external focus instructions, you know, give you better performance results, um, 100% of the time compared to less. I'm not gonna say like that's, you know, maybe an external focus benefit, whatever. And I, of course I'm biased on that realm, but you know, it, it's just kind of like a, a challenge, like when is more better? Um, maybe it's like more feedback on success is better, something like that. And so I know Andy, that kind of hits on your your wheelhouse, but I just want to out that because I think the, the common notion is that less is more. Um and I I tend to like I, I believe that I I know like that's been shown quite quite a number of times, but I'm more of a person that's going to challenge every traditional thought that's out there. So like I would like to challenge that to all the coaches listening. Maybe you know when is more better? Um, and so I'll, I'll stop there, but I know that's like another rabbit hole.
2: <laughs> Har- harjeev it's it's so interesting you say that and that's why I qualified mine with this is a hypothesis. It's not a direct law but even a study done in 2016, uh, Lulik and Chen, more KR of a novel upper limb joint movement provided better learning. Now, there's a lot into that. It's, it's certainly very deliberate KR, but it's a novel movement pattern, no different than when we think about block first random. Maybe blocked early on for beginners can be more beneficial, but there's certainly a gray area here, and there are several papers coming out now that are challenging the guidance hypothesis, and that's wonderful because it's not black and white, and it's not necessarily the less is always more um, in my, you know, just in my experience in the world of coaching, we do tend to rely on words more often than, than more of the constraints led approach. And so really trying to push more of that while also recognizing what you said, that this is not an all or nothing uh, idea when it comes to feedback
0: you have used the uh, the word targeted feedback. Could you guys give a example of what like maybe I don't know Andy or, or Casey if you want to take if you're working with a setter or a pitcher like what targeted feedback would look like versus maybe I don't know if this is even a thing untargeted.
1: Yeah, so so targeted feedback. I think there's a there's a couple ways when I when I would think of, of kind of the concept that that Harjiv brought up there. I think you you'd probably for the way I would I would look at it is, is maybe I'd want to have the minimum level of intervention that I, I, uh, I can to have some impact. It can't be nothing. Right. But, um, the idea that I think sometimes you see, uh, coaches go, Hey, you need to do X, Y, Z and all this stuff. And, uh, if I can identify maybe one as- limiting aspect of performance and frame it in a way that's as, as minimally intrusive as possible then I, I think that that'd be good. I, when I think of targeted feedback, I often think of things like uh, summary feedback and uh, the ability to uh, kind of capture a number of repetitions or a number of opportunities in, in one either question or conversation or statement or, or something like that. Um, the last thing I think of, and we haven't talked much about it and it's probably worth an entire episode, but is the, the use of like an analogy and, and maybe more specifically like an integrated analogy and if you can get something that captures a lot in a, in a small package, um, I think that there's some value there. And uh, I think, yeah, targeted, when I think of the word targeted, I just basically have something specific and try to make it as uh, as minimally invasive as possible in terms of distracting their attention, um, getting them to, to explicitly monitor their, their movement, their performance, stuff like that. But um Harjiv I yeah you 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 said it you're the one who probably has the best you you got Jalen Suggs to fix so uh, I want to hear about that
3: oh man yeah so I think for for the targeted aspect of it um I kind of meant like what uh Casey kind of hit on was like that like one or two things that encompass you know so many different things um so like, like i said analogy is perfect or you know using different types of questioning techniques and whatnot um and i say that because feedback is actually considered you know as uh, some sort of constraint at the end of the day but contrary to, so contrary to what popular belief is like you know when, when you say when people when people say constraint we you know we talk about like Kind of enclosing that boundary of whatever we need to do but paradoxically actually when we put on a constraint we actually increase exploration um and so like that's like the paradoxical nature of what constraints are um, and so when i am target when i say targeted feedback i'm focusing on the one or two things that um you know that i that i want to kind of uh, talk about to the athlete um, so like for setting, for example, and I might be totally wrong here, but uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go into setting that involves the, the past that happened before that, where the setter started, you know, their footwork maybe or or whatever it may be, there, you know, how when when did they get to the spot? Like there's so many different types of things. Obviously, as a coach, you have to use your expertise and figure out the one or two things that you want to focus on for that specific feedback when you deliver it. Um, but you know, utilizing uh, again, like if we continue on the less is more approach, like like the one sentence that encompasses all those, or or maybe a few aspects of it, um, knowing that you know the the more targeted I get, they're actually going to be exploring more, um, and so that kind of gives us the benefit, um, and so like that's kind of where I'm at with that. And, and just one, like uh tangible thing that coaches can do is just record yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I've had, I've had coaches, um, you know, uh, at our, our level here, as well as, you know, college level, just, you can get so much insight into just listening to what you said, how, how much you said it. Um, and you're probably be surprised by how many, you know, times you stopped something or you said something um, and, and that can definitely help a lot. And so it's, it's probably the most easiest way to do it. Um, and you can correlate that with your, with your practice, uh, practice video um, and kind of, you know, see where you can improve there. So,
0: yeah, the reason that word jumped out at me is because I think it's the most common thing I've done as a coach and I've seen is that even if it's limited feedback, like not giving it that often, it's just there's this random play and I'll talk about that. And then even if it's 10 plays later, later you know, now I'm talking about a completely different area. And I just wonder if that's in, like, you covered it, but like, how much is that, you know, distracting from whatever the focus of the activity was? So yeah, that's, I think that's why it's a good term to hear about and try to understand. Um, I'm curious, there's one more to hit on the the more feedback. Do you guys have a hypothesis if, if there was, it sounds like potentially catching people doing it right, but if you were to do do a study, what would be like the next area you'd want to like, you know, look at if we were going to give someone a lot of feedback?
2: I would, as far as giving someone a lot of feedback, I think probably the more simple, the task, you know, that you can probably provide a little more feedback versus the more complex the task. And I think that falls along with what you were just mentioning, John and Harjeev is that we don't know where an athlete's attention is directed at times. So maybe we're providing feedback uh, if it's a very complex skill or a very complex task, and we're providing feedback, to something that may, maybe we saw but that's not where their attention was was allocated to and so it's almost like you're kind of splitting their attention somewhere else um i do think that if we were to try to study this even more you know i'd be very interested in the uh <clears throat> provision of kr versus kp And for if because some of the studies that show the kind of the opposite side of the guidance hypothesis, they tend to fall more along the idea of knowledge of results. So the very targeted feedback that you and Harjeev were mentioning, very clear, specific information is very numerical. Most of the time you did this or you didn't versus KP, where maybe not so much analogy feedback, but it's more based on the interpretation of the coach. And so now there's a misalignment of what is said versus what is received. So I think that would be an interesting thing to study is the provision of what type of of augmented feedback, be it KR or KP, and particularly the complexity of the skill.
0: Mm, very cool.
3: Yeah, if I could just add something, that that that's spot on what I was thinking and and you know. On, on that note, uh, I guess it'll be really hard to conduct an experiment this way, but uh, I think some, some of what I meant by that was also um, different ways of providing feedback. So right now we're kind of talking about verbal feedback, but like, you know, there's there's uh, there's visual feedback, right? There's, you know, we watch a lot of, um, at every practice, there's probably a TV monitor somewhere. And so like, you know, there's different ways to provide this. There's, there's auditory feedback, there's haptic feedback, all these different ways. And so it'd be interesting to kind of take the same concept of what, you know, targeted feedback you're giving, but then do it through different avenues. Um, and that's one thing, but also, uh, it's also important that, the same concept of feedback can be, you know, stated in different ways. And it's like this, like, if you take the idea of like, you know, there's different ways to perform a motor skill, there's also different ways to say what you need to say. Um, and so like, comes down to a lot of effective questionings, um, you know, again, catching them maybe after success, but then incorporating that little aspect of, can you do it this way, this time type of thing. Um, so that'd be an interesting study, I think in in the future, but like just practical wise, you know, you can always come down to the same conclusion, but using different. Right. And so like, that's also, I think uh, a way that we can still provide more uh, feedback. Um, But uh, I guess, hopefully, I think it'll be, it will be better off in the long run.
0: We're going to make a long list of studies for Casey to take on and see does his PhD. So I'll I'll keep a tally. Uh, Last thing I wanted to hit just before we close it was uh, kind of addressing the youth, youth side of coaching. I'm picturing, you know, I'm, say I'm coaching a, a 10U or a 12U team and I don't have spreadsheets. I don't have film. I don't have data. I've got me and my voice and that's the way I can get them to do things. And I see you know, this young kid who barely knows how to play and there's an obvious answer. Like, why wouldn't I want to use this? I have this really cheap form of, of you know, feedback that could help them. Like, why would I want to hold back when this is all I've got?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind jumping in there. Um, I, I think one of the things you have to start, and it goes back to the concept of, of, and I know I've been hammering this point home, but it is concept of ego. So you want this young athlete to do something a certain way so they can achieve a certain level of success. you know? And uh, the one thing I'd ask is, are you sure that that's what the athlete's trying to get out of this experience? If you got a little six-year-old, who's there because he or she is is there with their buddies and they just want to have a blast and you're over here tugging on their sleeve going no 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 kick it like this throw it like this grab it like this are you uh you know depressing their joy that they're getting out of this activity and and that's not to uh, it sounds a little bit like i'm demonizing the idea of a, a youth sports coach you know Instructing or prescribing, not at all. So a lot of them may want that; they may enjoy that. But I think we one of the things that I notice when I when I look at young, young, young novice athletes at, at really young elementary school ages, is that coaches tend to want to control and and uh, mostly, if we just ask these little six year olds what they want, what they want is an hour to hang out with their friends and do something fun, like chase a ball around for a little bit, and then maybe play in the mud and chase the ladybugs and, and that stuff's okay. I don't think that that's the end of the world by any stretch. And at some point they may uh, grab onto this idea that I want to be really good at this. And that's what I want to get out of this is no longer just this joy. And so, you know, psychosocial development and stuff like that. What I want is, is my skill to get better. And then we, I think at that point, then we're going, okay, now we should be talking about feedback. Really. If they're not there yet, what we should be trying to facilitate is the most awesome experience that keeps them in sport for as long as possible. And uh, so, yeah, I think uh, if you see it, be real certain you're going to intervene and interject, be real certain that that's what they're looking for. And, and, and that's not to say that you have to be mute the whole time and just let chaos reign, you know, but um, if you're going to be, no, no stand like this and move like this, then I think at some point you're going to lose a lot of those athletes that maybe could have a real long fruitful experience and relationship with sports simply because the first experience they ever had was, this person saying, I have to do it this way. And that's, I don't really care about uh, the, the outcomes that they care about. If that makes any sense.
0: Love it. I think that's a great way to close it. Andy, you have something to cap us off uh,
2: with that Casey hit it perfectly. And I think with just the idea of verbal feedback, I think a great thought experiment for coaches is whenever we want to jump in and teach something, it's have the hypothetical in our mind. How would I teach this if the player and I couldn't speak the same language?
0: Hmm. That's great. Yeah. And you could use that with your horses too, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, this is great. This is an awesome start, Andy. We're going to get you doing an audio book because you're so good at this and uh, looking forward to continuing to dive into different topics, but I hope coaches took some things they can go take straight into practice tomorrow. So thank you guys for doing this. This is great.